warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Scott here as usual. Now that tagline, a very British podcast about very British movies, was coined by my co-host who is making a welcome return after an absence of several months. Tony, hello mate. Hello, I'm back from Covid land. How are you? I'm fine. You did actually coin that phrase, didn't you? A very British podcast about very British movies. That was your invention. It was. I don't know how it come about. No. I'm sure I see a tagline elsewhere, oh, and you've I just sort it. of adapted it ever so slightly. It's not been copied at all. You're, no. you, you're not. You won't find it anywhere. So don't bother googling it or wikiing it. It's not there. <laughs> That's all right. We don't want to get done for like libel, plagiarism, or whatever. So. No, no, no. No one knows my true identity anyway. No, that's it. You are an enigma. Well, since I was put in a witness protection scheme, definitely. <laughs> Well, we need to know what you've been up to, because it's been a few months. We did a couple of carry-ons in quick succession last time we spoke. Yes. And, you know, we we revealed to the listener that your job was a very important job with regard to what's going on in the world, you know, part of the NHS, part of a, a vitally important part of keeping this, you know, this country running and hospitals running. And you still got the same job, because... Apart, apart you laugh because but apart from the you know the few years that we worked together since then you've had about a million different jobs but this one is it still going still in that job still in that job still doing the nation's work mate yeah busier than ever I obviously bet. a few little things have happened in the world <laughs> yeah um yeah. you know understatement of the day i haven't stopped that's why i've not really been about i've not really been in contact with you that much i mean no. i've been dropping you the odd message to see if you're still alive yep still here mate yep it's been gr- gruesome to be fair i've got a week off this week and i've pretty much slept the majority of it you deserve it mate you do work because um, you work nights as well don't you we work all the time mm. literally this is non-stop we are it's pedal to the metal going across the uk all the time at the minute we're doing what we do yeah but on a, on, on a lighter note, you've also got a little bit of a side project going, I noticed, on Facebook. What's, what's this van you're building? Right, so, <laughs> because obviously I didn't need anything else to do in my life, because <laughs> there's, not, <laughs> there's nothing else going on, Yeah. me and my dad decided we were going to buy an old school bus, an old transit van minibus, yeah. and the intention of ripping all the seats out and turning it into a camper van. Mm. And you can follow me on Instagram. I don't know what it, uh, my Instagram handle thing is. I'll find it. <laughs> we'll put it and, up and all the pictures are all on there. So if you read it, that it bothered. looks really impressive, mate. I was, you know, and it's, it's the speed at which you've been doing it is also well, quite impressive as well. Yeah, I mean, it was something to do throughout the lockdown. We'd not, not gone long into the lockdown when we went and bought it. Right. And at the time, my job wasn't so hectic because it only we were only getting into the swing of things. Mm. 
So we were down there quite a bit, getting quite a bit done. And then all of a sudden, we both, with our jobs that we do, have had to just abandon it. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. okay. It's got a flat tyre, the battery's dead, it's in a sorry state, and it's covered in pigeon shit. <laughs> so um, we will get back to it. But obviously, it's no point in having a camper van at the moment because there's no real camping places. I mean, there's a few. I've been away yeah. a couple yeah. of times, but there's not many about. Um, Oh, well. And not being very forthcoming unless you've got your own facilities. And until we plumb the toilet in, uh, <laughs> a bucket's not ideal for the family. <laughs> yeah, there's enough health scares going on around the world at the moment without you peeing in a bucket, mate. So, <laughs> well, yeah, there there is this to con- consider. Um, well, in listen, fact, it doesn't even bear thinking about, does it? No. Well, on on behalf of myself and all the listeners, please keep up the the good work that you are doing because, okay, you are not. One of those guys dressed in white, you know, performing brain surgery. But your job is equally as important. What you do, mate, it's, it keeps the hospitals running, basically. No, uh, thank you. Yes. No, no, everyone else should have a pat on the back as well. Yes, definitely. And, and well done to the people on the furlough scheme that have managed to survive. Milk us along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you lot. Yes. Yeah. Well done, you. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll stop soon. Uh, let's talk about today's movie. <laughs> I threw this at you after the Carry On film that we reviewed last time, thinking you may have seen it, because you're a big fan of war films, and I think you actually said it was one you weren't even aware of the, the plot. You weren't even aware of the story of this as actually being a true story. Nope, nothing so, at all. Absolutely so, oblivious. Did you go into this completely blind, apart from what I told you, or did you look at a trailer or read a bit up on it? didn't do anything i wanted to watch the film first then do my research after fantastic because um, so i didn't yesterday? want it to spoil it yep so you watched it yesterday watched it yesterday had a bit of a read-up since to see the because it's slightly tweaked a bit from the true story certain aspects of this so you've had a little look at what you know really happened and what it was based on yeah a spoiler coming up it's called operation mincemeat i'd looked into mm-hmm. that separately to the film yep that is actually um, the genuine title yep yeah there, there's a little bit of poetic license with it, not a lot. No, but I think some of the bits that they do towards the end involving the Irish fella actually add to the tension. And, you know, they, they, it would have been quite a an abrupt ending to the movie if there wasn't for that bit. So we'll talk yeah. about that when we get to it. If you haven't guessed yet, guys, it's The Man Who Never Was from 1956, directed by Ronald Neem. And there's a couple of big star names in this as well. You know, we've got a Hollywood actress. We've got a guy that will go on to become a major Hollywood star. So what we'll do, we've got a trailer. Let's play the trailer. We'll be back after this. And me and Tony will be chatting about the man who never was. It's the most outrageous, disgusting, preposterous, not to say barbaric idea. The strangest spy story in the annals of naval intelligence. This is the man who created the man who never was. You wave an airy hand and say, George, go and get a body, as though there was nothing to it. Well, you try. Nonsense. There are hospitals, nursing homes, mortuaries. I've tried them, not a hope. You see, Monty, everybody belongs to somebody. And it isn't a thing people want messed about. This is the traitor who tried to expose the man who never was. Good evening. Yes, what do you want? I'm making some inquiries about a friend of mine, William Martin. This is the girl who held the secret of the man who never was. Lucy, this is Mr. Patrick O'Reilly. 
Hello there. Mr. O'Reilly is making inquiries about Willie Martin. Willie Martin? Willie Martin? It's no good making inquiries about him, mister. Willie Martin doesn't exist. This is a true story. It actually happened. But it could not be told until now. Okay, that was The Man Who Never Was, released in the UK, 1956. Directed, as we said, by Ronald Neem, based on the book by Ewan Montague, starring Clifton Webb, Gloria Graham, Josephine Griffin, Stephen Boyd, Lawrence Naismith, Geoffrey Keane. There's a few faces in here. I mean, Stephen's not with us to oversee the Hall of Fame, but we will be throwing some new entries and some reappearances at him as we go on because there's some very famous British faces in here Tony I chose this for you tradition normally dictates that I read the synopsis but it's been a while since you've been here mate take it away it's your turn go on true story of a British attempt to trick the enemy into weakening Sicily's defences before the 1943 attack using a dead man with fake papers quite a famous story or I thought it was a famous story but obviously you were totally unaware of this but you like your military history. You like your war stories. I'm surprised this one dipped under your radar. So, watching it as a movie, first of all, mm. first impressions, general impressions, you know, as a movie, rather than the actual story and, and the history of it. What about as a movie? What did you think of it? From the minute it started and they got their mission, mm-hmm. it was just filled with suspense because straight away... You sort of knew the importance of the the whole operation. Yep, and there was also this could go wrong at any point throughout the film. Yeah, and that went right through to the end as well, didn't it? You know, when you well, we'll, we'll go through the plot in a bit more detail. But towards the middle of the film, you think, okay, they've they've got away with this. But then Stephen Boyd's character comes in to investigate on behalf of the Germans, and you think, yeah. this could fall apart at any second. Yeah, when you see when they're in the German high command bit, mm. and they're they're going through it quite forensically, and they're sort of they're batting back everything that they've come up with. Yeah, it's almost like they knew they read it like a book at the time, and and before they actually had a man on the ground, a, a spy, exactly a German spy. But this um, is the part that didn't actually happen. With the realism but, of the story, let's go back to the true story then. So you've had a little bit of a dig into it, and that. that it's a fascinating tale, isn't it, mate, this whole thing? Deception at its best. Mm. Absolutely deception at its best. And, well, we pulled it off. <laughs> we did indeed. I mean, for those that don't know, let's go into a bit more detail on the plot. So basically what happens is 1943 and Royal Navy Lieutenant Commander Ewan Montague, who's Clifton Webb, he has devised this scheme basically it's going to trick the Germans. It's to do with the invasion, isn't it, of southern Europe. So what they want to do is they're going to get a dead body, a corpse, and plant false papers on him and say that the Allied invasion is going to go through Greece, I think it is, rather than Sicily, which is the more obvious target. Yeah. And for the first sort of 10, 15 minutes... 
they're sort of investigating the best way of trying to do this. I mean, it starts off there are parachute displays, isn't it? This gives them the first um, first idea that there's a parachute. There's hundreds of parachutes being released at this parachute display, and one of them fails to open properly and comes crashing to the ground. That's it. And Montague's, I don't know, he's the other the other soldier that's with him. I can't think who it is at the moment, but he says. Wonder what would happen if that would, you know, had a body on it and it crashed to the ground and he had, you know, false papers on him and all this. And they start investigating the idea, and they really take it in depth, don't they? Because they said, okay, well, what if we get a body that washes up on the shore, and straight, yeah. and straight away it's like, well, we can't do that because if they autopsy the body, it will prove that he hadn't died through drowning. It becomes very scientific, doesn't it? Almost clinical yeah. from that point on. Um, they start going around investigating it more. We need to find someone who's died of pneumonia. Because the lungs are filled with fluid that is almost the equivalent, you know, if someone was to check, it'd be almost, you know, in dis- you know, in what's the word I'm looking for? Inconclusive. That'll do. No. <laughs> <laughs> undetectable. Almost undetectable from, yeah, from, from pneumonia is the same as drowning sort of thing, so that, you know, to the to a body that's been in the water for several hours. Yes. I mean, you're watching this movie now, and you, I, I bet you're hooked after about the first five minutes. Pretty much, yeah, all the way through to the end. Yeah. I, I know you like a good war film, and knowing that you hadn't seen this, I'm th- and I couldn't remember how good this was, because, to be honest, I watched this way before you were born, mate. I watched this in the early 80s. It was on BBC Two one early evening I was about 12 or 13 and I haven't seen it since and I just remember watching it at the time thinking oh that was a good movie watched it this time round absolutely loved it absolutely got right into it from the start couldn't remember anything about you know the intricate plot points and where it was going to go and just watching this all unravel as you said they're very forensic about this because they're trying to actually make this body has got to be believable. This is going to go to, like you said, to German high command, and it's got to convince the top brass there that the Allies are going to invade a certain way. Mm. So, and it's mm. it's thirty thousand lives on the line, Pretty and that sort of that is sort of reinforced along the way, isn't it? The whole yeah. way through. If this goes wrong, it's going to go wrong spectacularly big, big wrong. Time, yeah. So. Talk through some of the things they have to sort of consider, mate. You know, that before we get to the actual body, they sort of start working out what they need to plant on the body in the uniform. So, yeah, what, it, what is it? It starts off, obviously, they need to find a body mm. that's um, suitable, died of pneumonia. They finally get hold of a body of um, a young Scottish lad. And the father's there. Obviously, he's only just passed away. And then all of a sudden, you've got these two naval officers rock up. Um, <laughs> we we want to take your son. <laughs> Maybe your son's body, please. Sir. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Body snatchers. But the father's Obviously, quite willing, isn't he? You know, but he's, he's got a few conditions he lays down. A nice Christian burial. And it's got to be for the good of other people. Yeah. And, and um, he gets both of them. He does, but they couldn't guarantee the Christian burial. But he says, you know, Montague says, I am pretty sure that that will happen. Yeah. And he got that, and um, obviously treated the body with respect. Mm. And, and Montague sort of threw out, although it was um, an idea he was 
part of, he, he seemed quite haunted about the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's a big responsibility. And if it goes wrong, as you said, it could go spectacularly wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and he takes it very personally, doesn't he? That's what you're saying. He, 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 he does. He does. When he actually... He started when he went to the cinema, didn't it? Just after he dealt with the body. Yeah. And he, he sort of having flashbacks of it all, and he, he's very distant and whatnot. Mm. Um, I mean, up to that point, there's a lot going on. They're picking sort of landing beaches and what stuff, the tide times, you yeah. know, types of water, the yeah. sort of areas that are not going to be doing an autopsy. They haven't got good scientists. I mean, that's how in-depth it was all it's going. It's incredible, isn't it, what they had to consider? And when it was 70 yeah. years ago as well, that this intelligence is there as well. And also to the like the little things like the membership to the officers club, the fact he's got a receipt for his shirts, yep. building a life of someone that never existed, a made up name out of a book. This is what I was getting at. You know, they, they don't put it down to the fact that, okay, we've got to give him a wristwatch. We've got to give him a passport and papers. Yeah. We, we've got to create a life for this man. Yeah. We've got to make him real. And quite rightly, like you said, they put in membership to the officers' club, a receipt from Jeeves, you know, which is one of the great tailors in London, for yes. the shirts that he's bought. Because they know full well that if that body's found, the Germans aren't just going to accept the fact that he's got invasion paperwork. You know, that's that's just too good to be true, you know. <laughs> so well, yeah. it even goes down to the point, you know, that we then get this sort of side story that to make him more believable, to make him more realistic, let's put him in a relationship. Let's give him a girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend, a picture of the girlfriend, a love letter. Shove it all in his pocket. Um, he's been to the he's been to the theatre. He's got some theatre stubs in his pocket, and they had a few extras so they could go to South, paid for by the government. They thought, let's let's go and you know make this work. So they go to the they go to the theatre on his behalf. Yeah. And, <laughs> To create this girlfriend, you know, one of the secretaries who is, let me think, it's Josephine Griffin, she's playing Pam. She's given the task of writing a love letter to be put in his wallet, you know. And she's struggling with this love letter until her flatmate arrives, who's Gloria Graham. Now, did you recognise Gloria Graham as the flatmate? No. Right. You're not a big fan of Hollywood and classic Hollywood movies. She was a massive Hollywood star. She's in right. lots of things, say, with Humphrey Bogart and film noir and stuff like that. She's in my favourite movie, It's a Wonderful Life, with Jimmy Stewart. She plays Violet in right. It's a Wonderful Life. You know, she had this massive Hollywood career. She died in England in the 1980s in Liverpool, and she was the subject of that movie that came out a few years ago, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, with Jamie Bell. That's, right. that's her story. That's the Gloria Graham story. So they've obviously brought Gloria Graham in to this movie to attract the American audience. Probably got her quite cheap because it's, you know, it's a few years after her Hollywood career was at its peak. And she's overhearing the flatmate writing this love letter and she sort of says, take this down, I'll write it for you. And, and she just gives this <laughs> very over the top. Come on. Yeah, very heartfelt, isn't it? It's a bit over the top, mate. Come on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this 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 heartfelt love letter to a fictional boyfriend. And without spoiling anything towards the ending, this love letter will prove crucial towards the end. 
it's that's the make or break bit. Isn't I it? think so. And we don't want of to the get whole too, operation. Yeah, yeah, it's this love letter <laughs> that's dictated by now bless her, Gloria Graham. Did you notice that from her bottom eyelid to her top lip, it never moved? <laughs> no, I didn't notice <laughs> that. At this point, bless her. She she had a lot of troubles, Gloria Graham. You know. Man trouble and, and alcohol and stuff like that. And at this point, she was going through a lot of plastic surgery. A right. top, top lip doesn't move at all. Go back and watch it. It's, it's quite funny when you see it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, so she's written this love letter. That's gone into the, the whole inventory of stuff that's going to be planted on this poor sod's body. Um, even down to the fact that, okay, we're going to put the papers in a briefcase. How's he going to be carrying the briefcase when he washes up on shore? Yeah. So what do they come up with? It's it's a banker's device, isn't it, which is attaches the briefcase to the arm to stop it being stolen. That's it. Goes through the sleeve, round the waist, through the sleeve, onto yeah. the briefcase. They said, didn't they? So so it'll all, you know it'll all be attached to him as he washes up. And all the way through it, you're thinking, okay, they've got every point here covered and more that you don't think they should have done. You know, it's like they've, they've gone right into detail. You know, they've got this down to the finest, finest points that, you know, so it doesn't bugger up at all. Now, one thing that you like about war movies, and particularly war movies about from this period that are made in the 50s or whatever, 10 years or so after the end of the war, you like the fact that the hardware and the stuff there is genuine, don't you? Like the vehicles and, you know, tanks and boats and that sort of thing, yeah? Yeah, it's pretty much spot on, isn't it? Well, it could not be more spot on if it tried because the submarine that they used to take the body yeah, is the actual submarine that was used. Oh, wow. Yeah, they actually used it and they, they actually got permission to use the same submarine. Blind, that's quite impressive. Because I know you like that sort of accuracy in um, Dunkirk, didn't you, with the Medway Queen and, and, and the boats? Yeah, yeah, that was very, very good. Yeah, when I, especially when I started doing a bit more digging. Yeah. It's surprising how accurate it actually was. Yeah. Um, oh, what, even, what Dunkirk? even that bit, when they made that capsule for the body. Yes. How scientific that was. Oh, yeah, we need to put dry ice in there to stop decomposition until it's there. Because it it wasn't going to get there overnight, was it? That's the thing. They had to get it to the Mediterranean. Yeah, days. From, from the south coast. So, yeah, so you've got a body that, you know, they're, they're, they're warm here. You know, they found this poor old sod that's died and they've got to get everything prepared within 24 hours before the corpse starts actually decomposing completely. Yeah. And that's all true, isn't it? I mean, you've looked into this. That is all genuine, isn't it? It's got to be. Uh, the only bit that's not is a bit of poetic license there. It wasn't a young lad and his father in a hospital bed. It no. was actually a, a vagrant. It was a tramp. Apparently. But even then, there's dispute over this. But the, the real identity was only revealed, wasn't it, 10, 15 years ago or something, if I remember rightly. This whole thing has been kept secret all this time. Yeah. And, it, and it, you're probably still never going to get the full lowdown on it for a few years because of the... Yeah, the way it all works with secret documents. But then again, that'll be coming up very soon. Yeah, the one, the one that they think it is, it's a Welsh tramp whose parents mm. were both dead, and his death died of eating rat poison. Yeah, committing suicide by ingesting rat poison because he was a rat catcher as well, apparently, and he ingested his own poison as a suicide thing. But then there's also a claim that it was another sailor on a ship that had no family that had died uh, when the ship was torpedoed 
three days earlier or something like that. But nobody knows. But basically, the man who never was, it was a closely guarded secret till 1998. Yeah. And they believe it was a guy called Gwyn, I think so, it's Glyndir Michael. And basically what they've done now, the real grave site in Spain has been amended. Now they know his identity. It has his fictional name. Yeah. And his real name on it, which is incredible. Because obviously they would have buried him under the fictional name that they gave him because that was on his papers. Yeah. One thing I want to quickly go back to. Uh, we were talking off air very briefly about Darkest Hour, the Winston Churchill movie we reviewed few months back you can hear winston churchill's voice a couple of times throughout this movie yeah once at the beginning doing the narration at the beginning and then there's a bit where they get summoned to downing street and they're talking to him for an open door but you can't actually see churchill yeah yeah that voice and then Stephen will have to take note of this for the hall of fame was peter sellers oh wow doing his winston churchill impression oh okay yeah, incredible. I didn't even know that until today. And I'm a big Peter Sellers fan, as you know. There oh. we go. I've just found the name of the submarine. Uh, the vessel used to deploy the body in the sea during the real Operation Mincemeat was the S-Class submarine, the P219 HMS Seraph. The same vessel reprised its role for this movie. There you go. Wow. Yeah, that is, um, that's quite impressive, actually. Mm. I know, I know you like impressive. that accuracy. I know you like that level of accuracy, and that is just taking it to another level, actually getting the submarine to do it. What was nice about this film, mm. it was a bona fide war film. There's there's a lot going on, yeah, but there's not a lot going on, if that makes sense. It's not all gunfights and battles. It's very much office-based. It's a war film um, about warfare. Yeah. Isn't it? It's, 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 I wouldn't say it's unique. There must be other movies out there like that. But there are no troops, there are no, like you said, no aerial dogfights, no battles, nothing like that at all in this. No, no, the only additional soldiers and that you ever see troop-wise is at the train station. <laughs> that's it. And the ports. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And you, you get a little bit of when they're actually loading the body onto the submarine, because obviously they're in a naval dock. Yeah. So did you like that side of it, then, not being a war film in the traditional sense? You You liked the fact that you're seeing you know, the Second World War from a completely different angle that you may not have seen previously. Well, it's, it's quite representative of the war, isn't it? I mean, that's, I think, a lot of films, although a lot of the films are good, you don't see what actually went on here, mm. you know, because a lot of it was fought from an office in London. Exactly, yeah. The, the old uh, Churchill's bunker and all that sort of thing that, you know, we've, we've witnessed in previous movies. Um, yeah, Secret War, isn't it? A lot of it was a lot of espionage, a lot of spying... And, yeah. and the backroom boys, you know, it was all of these people fighting the war on different fronts, you know, and they weren't necessarily on the front line. Even that guy, the scientist that analyzes the envelope, there's, there's a lovely, I like this part of it. This is, again, the accuracy and, you know, they're trying to convince themselves that the plan has worked at one point. Basically what happens, the body gets found and gets a decent Christian burial, as was hoped. And yeah. It's witnessed by, I think, the vice consul, you know, the British. There's British, you know, troops there to witness it. And the body gets buried in Spain, but everything gets returned. The briefcase, what? all the contents, all the personal items, yeah? To what, to what they think has been unmolested. It hasn't been opened. Everything's untouched. So straight away you're thinking, it hasn't worked. Okay, why would, why would they do that? You know, they've gone to all this trouble. Why would they not open the envelope? 
So Montague sends it to one of the top scientific bods, who I think is played by Miles Mallison in this particular film. And <laughs> again, like I say, fighting on a different front. He's doing a vital piece of work, doing all these lovely little experiments with test tubes and, and Bunsen burners and stuff like that. And he comes to the conclusion that, yeah, the envelope was opened. He said, I can tell you that it was held down here, possibly to be photographed. Yeah. So bang, straight away, we've got them. We've, they've, they've, they've fought well. They've seen it. Whether they've fallen for it at this point, we don't know. That's another point I missed at the start of that. Before the body was found and they were still writing all documents up. Yeah. I mean, they was having generals and all sorts of people also writing letters. Like, they actual people writing them and signing for them. They had to. Which yeah. That's another good point in a minute. Mm. Even handling the paperwork with other bits of paper because he doesn't want to get fingerprints on there. He that's, only wants to, those actual people's fingerprints on them. That's what he says, wasn't it? He says, if you don't mind, I'm going to take this very carefully, he says, because it's got to look as if it's been sitting in his pocket all this time. Yes. Very, yeah, very chores good. for the generals, as it was put, wasn't yeah. it? It's, it is chores. So we actually, the people on them bits of paper, these high influential people, actually wrote them, signed them, touched them. Yep. Covered them in their own fingerprints in case the Germans had a copy of them. That is the... Le- well... Put it this way, if we, if, if we know we've got a scientist that's capable of working out if an envelope's been opened and sealed... The Germans what, have got the same. They've got the same, haven't they? They must have that capability. And that proves when we get to the, the, the German high command and they've got the photographs, because thankfully it, it they was right, it was open, they did photograph it. Yeah. But then and they're they comparing with, signatures. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're questioning... The, the, the veracity of these documents because again you they didn't that know had, did they they yeah. generally could not tell it apart no and and can you imagine that falling in your lap it's like nah this is too good to be true why why would somebody be carrying documents that important and what a coincidence that just happens to be washed ashore but yeah he didn't get washed ashore at somewhere that was swarming with nazi troops or whatever like they said they planned it that it would be just obscure enough, but also, you know, enough activity enough. there, yeah, that they would yeah. have to look into this. But there's still that element of doubt on behalf of the Germans, isn't there? So The other thing that showed, though, was the level of espionage and the amount of spies there was. The fact that they had copies of all of these high-ranking officers' signatures. Yep. So and- it just shows how unsafe the British government and military actually was. Yeah. It was rife, wasn't it? I mean, there was that famous thing during the war, you know, walls have ears and, you know, just keep quiet about everything. But, you know, you don't know who was on what side. It could have been no. anybody. I mean, one of your favourite films, the first movie we ever reviewed, Eagle Has Landed. Yeah. You know, you know that sort of thing. It's, it's a completely different level of, you know, spider within the UK. But, it, it you know, there, there was a real fear. The information could be passed by literally anybody. And and we find out, I mean, this is the fictionalised part of the story, that the Germans order an Irishman, played by Stephen Boyd, to go and check out all these minor little details. It always seems to be the Irish, isn't it? Well, the reason being that it's sort of hinted that he's part of the IRA. Yeah. So he's got a real beef with the British government. Yeah. And the taxi driver turns out to be Irish as well. 
For those of you not in the UK listening to this, there's a little bit of history between us and the Irish. <laughs> exactly. So, um, <laughs> I think it's well known, mate. <laughs> yeah, 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 have a little Google. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's well known. But th- that's what it was. It's intimated in the movie that because of his history and his hatred for the British, he was quite willing to become a German spy. Yeah. So what better than an Irishman to spy than, you know, sending a German to try and put on an English accent? Yeah. Makes absolute sense. So, good old Stephen Boyd, who would go on to have a massive Hollywood career, he'd be in Ben-Hur three years later, amongst other things, starts going around investigating lots and lots of the little, small, minor details, but the first person he comes across is the landlady. Yes. Who is it? Um... Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, the detective. No, who's the landlady? Yes, the detective. The detective, and I can't <laughs> think of her name, and we talked about her so much. And oh. She's right near the top of the Hall of Fame, mate. She's had about seven or eight appearances. I want to say Joan Hicks. It's the Hickson. It's Joan Hickson is the landlady in this, exactly, yeah. I, I was going to say Joan Sims, but I've made that no, mistake no, no, before. No. Yes, yes, and Alistair Sim and... Yes, all of the all Brother of the Sims, sister, all, you the, know. all the Sim family, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Hickson is in this amongst many, many famous people playing that sort of role that she used to play in the fifties. You know, that brassy old little, you know, guest house owner or something, or a landlady of a pub or whatever she used to be before she became Miss Marple. And Stephen Boyd sets about. First of all, where did he go first? Does he go to the officers' club or does he go to the tailors? I think it was the tailors' officer club, then the bank. All oh, right, okay. So we go go with the tailors first. So he's very clever with this because he walks in and he just asks for a specific shirt. And the man behind the counter again, Hall of Fame. It's Richard Wattis, another famous face. He, he, he gets shown his shirt by Richard Wattis. And he went, nah, my friend bought something very similar, a bit more specific, he said, with a separate collar. And he says the guy's name. And yeah. he tries to get him to go through his account. He says, look, can you check his account to make sure that is exactly the same shirt that he bought? And Richard Wattis quite rightly says, I can assure you, sir, he says, you know, if, if he came in and he bought a, a khaki shirt with a separate collar, it was this particular one. Yes, yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Stephen Boyd has to accept the fact that, yeah, there's a good chance that, that that's right. You know, he hasn't had it confirmed that it was definitely him. But there's a good chance that he did buy that shirt there. Okay, so that's one box tick that is, you know, okay, it's the, it is the man. He then goes, did you reckon he goes to the officers' club next? I think it was the officers' club next, yeah. yeah. And you've got the deaf guy behind the counter. Yeah, so there's some doubt sort of thrown at him immediately because... It's not definite whether, you know, the guy that's playing the dead body was actually a member of that club or not. It's, it's, it's possible. You know, they work out that it is possible, but paperwork has all been changed with the bombings have been lost and all, all sort of things have happened. So he goes away from there thinking, OK, well, he could have been part of that club. Still not convinced 100%, though, is he? This is the thing. No. So what happens at the bank he rings the bank first doesn't he that's it he rings them from a public telephone box asks to speak to the manager 
And obviously the manager was actually in on this to begin with because he, they'd set up an overdraft. He had to set the account up, didn't he, in the name? There yeah. was an account, yeah, yeah, and they were good friends, him and um, General Montague. Yeah. So, um, thankfully, the bank manager had a bit of savvy, didn't he, and made the got the phone call recorded and traced and they took it all down the notes and he made an appointment and said, come in and see me at two o'clock. Yep. When he got straight on to the general. That's it. That this guy's been here. He's he's. Um, you need to know about this. You need to be here. Yeah, but he's he's sort of very cagey about it. So it sort of puts Stephen Boyd off a wee bit because he's like, okay, I need some real concrete evidence, and he goes through all the bits that he's got, and what's left is is. And we're not going to reveal much past this, mate, because I don't want to sort of give away too much of the ending. But it it then comes down to the love letter from Gloria Graham. That is the make, believe it or not, is the make and break of the whole operation. Yeah, the difference between thirty thousand troops potentially slaughtered. Yeah, and there is a line towards the end that actually says that. But again, I don't want to go too much into the ending if people haven't no. seen it. Um, no. If you're aware of the story, you know the basic premise of it. You know what happened with with real life, but this ending, this whole third act, is fictionalized anyway. And if you do know, don't tell anybody. We're going to make the listeners like work for this one. <laughs> Go and watch it. Buy it. Well, come on. Let's let's hear your opinion on it then, mate, because it's your first time watch. And as I say, I know you like a war movie or two. But what did you really think of it then? How, how good or how bad was it? I was on the edge of my seat the whole way through. For a movie that wasn't really a suspense thriller, really, was it? It's No, no. But for me, it was suspense the whole way. And it just, it was up and down all the time, you know, just when they got one box ticked, you know, even, it turns out his name was Patrick O'Reilly, wasn't he? He used his real name in the end just Mm. to make sure that they weren't going to try and suss him out. Yeah. You know, like they went into the, like you say, went into the tailors, the shirts were ticked off and you think, oh yes, they've passed that bit. Then you Mm. go into the club and his name wasn't there and you're like, oh shit, (laughs) this could be it. This could have, it's all unfolding now. So he could fall apart. the bank manager Mm. and... Mm. Oh, it's just all the way to the end. And then, obviously, there's a last, there's a transmission because this spy has got some equipment, hasn't he? Oh, that Again. Equipment, can I just say, when he unpacks that radio from the suitcase that's given to him mm. by the taxi driver, do you remember the bit in E.T. where E.T. builds the radio to, to phone home out of all the bits <laughs> and pieces? <laughs> it's the same for the same props department. Because yeah. he's pulling out these wires and these aerials and he's plugging it in behind the wardrobe and up against the ceiling. And it's just like this huge thing that he's building just to transmit this Morse code message. Yeah, go on, yeah when, when he started doing that and you think, oh, yeah, there's been spies used that room before. That's all been arranged on purpose, hasn't it? That yeah. place is wired up, ready to go. Yeah, which is interesting in itself. But yeah, um, towards the end, there's a. It's all done in Morse code, isn't it? And it's pretty much if you don't get a message from me in an hour, a ball. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not real. Don't do it. Yeah, just leave it at that for the moment because, as I say, anything could happen yeah. with this movie, and it's all the way through it because for the first half of the movie, you're on the edge of your seat as to whether the British are going to get away with it. And yeah. then for the second half of the movie, it's whether the British are going to get found out. Yeah. Yeah. So, All I will add to that is, is it's not the ending you would expect. No. Nope. Nope. And there is not one gunshot fired in no, this movie. Not at all. At all. No, no. There's only one reference to a firearm mm-hmm. briefly. Yeah. 
that's that's how calm, cool, and collected this whole thing is. It's a different sort of war movie, mate. Basically, yeah. Very much so. Very so much so. I'm taking it you really enjoyed this. Then. Really enjoyed it. Be watching it again. Yeah. Cool. Do you yeah, I'd give... like to watch it again, but next time round, really sort of watch it. You know, it's it's a really good sort of production value as well because it's filmed in Cinemascope and Technicolor, and it, it looks a good movie, doesn't it? They've spent some money. Definitely on the script and the cinematography on this. Yeah. But no special effects as such, you know, there's no... Wasn't needed. No, no sort of stock footage of, you know, troops invading, whatever, too much. You know, there's a little bit of newsreel footage at one point, but it, it just, it was just a good story told bloody well. Yeah, well, now you've said that about the submarine, that is probably the most technical bit of scenery. Mm-hmm. They actually needed the rest of it was done in probably offices, studios, and an old bank. And I think there might have been a little bit of location work in Spain. I'd have said as well because that certainly wasn't filmed in this country. But no. But other than that, I think the most impressive thing about that, especially now when you said that, mm-hmm. was the submarine. There you go. I, I knew you'd appreciate that bit because I know you like looking out for that sort of thing in yeah. more movies. I mean, based on your rating system, are you going to rate out five or ten, mate? What are you going to do? I think we normally do five. I normally we? do five, so how, how do you want to go? Yeah, it'd be a five. You're going five? Wow, excellent. Definitely I'm... a five. It scored quite high as well. Before you scored, it scored quite high IMDb. on IMDb. Well, they got seven-something, weren't they, I think? 7.4 out of ten, Six. which I think is quite good. That is for IMDb. Anything over seven is normally pretty good. I'm giving it a four, but it's a heavy four for yep. me. Um, I'm, I'm just, just impressed that... As I say, it was a movie that I'd seen nearly 40 years ago and didn't remember anything of it, but I knew the story because I've read things since, you know, historically. And I just wanted to bring it to you because I thought, you know what, I think I want to watch that again. And I know Tony likes a war film. Yeah. And I was thinking this could either be really good or it could be really crap. And I'm pleased to say that it is one of the best war war movies I've seen. Yeah. It, It just doesn't need... All the action and the thrills and the spills. No, it's just it's brilliant. Good. It's very subdued, um, but tells a story very, very well. Excellent. I think we'll leave it at that. I think we'll let the listener try and discover it for themselves. Definitely go online and watch it. Even if it doesn't sound like your sort of thing, watch it. Yeah, and and to be honest, it's freely available because it's one of those rare occasions where the copyright wasn't renewed for this movie, so pretty much it's, it's it's freely available to anybody. You can you can watch it on YouTube if you had to, you know, no problem at all. Let's leave it at that. We haven't seen each other for a long time. I need to nab you before you go to commit you to another episode, mate. <laughs> and it's going to yes. I think we'll make it your choice because this was mine. So let's take a break and we'll be back after this. In over 30 years of intelligence work, I've never heard of anything like it. Neither have the Germans. It's the most outrageous, disgusting, preposterous, not to say barbaric idea. But work out full details and be on hand at the War Cabinet offices at 4.30 tomorrow afternoon. Thank you, sir. You'll need a code name. You can have Jumbo, Trader, Wigwam, Mincemeat, Jubilee. With your permission, sir, Mincemeat.
So, Tony, mate, that was the man who never was. Now, as I said before, we haven't seen you for a while. I want to see you again. We need to talk more movies, mate. You were the original host of this show with me. Come on, let's let's get together again and do something else. And it's your choice. Now, you give me a little bit of a sneaky idea as to what we're going. We've gone. What are we doing next time, mate? Well, we're going back 18 years, Scott. Okay, and okay. it's got one of our... We, we like this actor. Mm-hmm. I know we both do. Um, I mean, the Balaban studio graces his presence there, doesn't he? <laughs> there is a framed picture of him somewhere, actually, in this box there is. by my side. <laughs> there is. Um, we're going to go for 24-hour party people. Yes, starring the legendary Steve Coogan, um, playing Tony Wilson, the record producer. Bit of a strange choice for you. I take it you haven't seen this. I haven't seen this. Okay. It's something that I'm aware of. Yeah. Um, especially throughout the lockdown, because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and stuff, especially um, Steve Coogan stuff. Oh, of course, yeah, because he's got that new one out, hasn't he? The Alan Partridge one, yeah. yeah. He's got that one out. He's done a few guest ones as well that I've listened to. And 24-Hour Party people's been mentioned a few times. So I thought, do you know what? Give it a go. Let's do that. Okay, and you just had a little rattle through of the cast list just a second ago. Read out some of the names of the people in this, mate. Go on. So, obviously, Steve Coogan, Coogan the, the man himself. John Thompson, yep. who is he's in loads of stuff. Nice. Loads of stuff. Wasn't he jazz um, club, wasn't he? Nice. Um, <laughs> men Behaving Badly, the barman was my favourite. He was oh, when he did he that. Of course he was, yeah, yeah. He was. Um, yeah, yeah. Lenny James, um, also one of my other favourite films, Snatch. He was, yeah, big character in Walking Dead up to a few years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's that's not a bit of me. No, no, no. Um, no. Who else have we got? We've got um, Paddy in there. John Sim, you mentioned, in there somewhere? John Sim from Life on Mars, another very good programme to watch. Ralph Little oh. um, debuted in um, The Royal Family. That's it, and he's playing Peter Hook from New Order. So it's, it's, it's a true story, isn't it, based on Factory Records and the Manchester music scene and... Not your sort of music, I take it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not the sort of stuff you listen to. But with a cast like that, I don't think we can go too wrong. Talking of IMDb ratings, it's got a 7.3. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's up there, isn't it, with a rating. So I'm expecting good things from it. Well, we'll find out. There's only one way to find out, and that's to actually watch it ourselves, mate, to be honest. So looking forward to that. We'll try and get this in before Christmas, mate. We need to have a little chat with each other before before Christmas, if we can. Yeah. It's been good to see you again, mate. You know, keep up the hard bloody work. Everybody, as I say, really appreciates the work you do, mate. So, you know, much needed, much needed, and much needed on this podcast as well. So please come back. You know, thank you. Thank you for um, having me back and not forgetting about me. It's been quite nice. Um, just before there's any snowflakes pick up on what Scott said, we, we see each other through Skype. We're not yeah. in the same room. We're social distancing by about four miles. Pretty much. So yeah. um, we're safe. <laughs> yes. Safe we're in our like, bubbles. Okay? We're in our own intimate bubbles, mate. Exactly. That's how it should always be. Um, it's sad, isn't it? You have to put these warnings. I'll keep seeing this on programmes now, like film before COVID and all this stuff. Oh, what, because people are thinking we're actually sitting here across a table or whatever. And Oh, yeah, you get the old dear points of view people writing, oh, don't you? Like, oh, why, oh, dear points of view. Why, oh, why, oh, why? They always used to start, didn't they? Yes. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's the warning. Uh, um, it's, which would be a regular thing in everyone's lives now, forever. Pretty much, mate. Yeah. 
<laughs> for, the, for the foreseeable anyway but thank god for Skype it means we can carry on doing stuff like this Possibly exactly and while you're often. still enjoying the furlough download the rest of the podcast <laughs> and from the sister podcast as well Oh, stinky hours balls. of entertainment yeah, indeed mate thanks for being here today I'll see you very soon yeah thank you very much cheers buddy take care bye bye Bon voyage. Good luck. Thank you. British end up, sir. Ha ha ha!